On May 20th of 2019, going into my senior year of college, I began a journey. Originally, I was just looking to better myself as an individual. But before I knew it, I had a team and a community around me discussing our daily struggles. Just a community looking to better ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. My name is Brett Ferguson, and welcome to the Struggle of Sovereignty. Hey guys, my name is Brett Ferguson, and I'm a current student at the University of South Carolina, where I'll be graduating in May 2020. Welcome to episode. Oh shit, hold on. Sorry. Give me one second. <laughs> Let's restart that. Oh, shit. Yeah, no sweat, bro. Oh my God. Okay, wow. Uh, this will be seven. Yeah. Sorry, man. We record a ton at a time. So <laughs> just sometimes yeah. I'll forget what episode we're on. I'm like, shit. Uh, okay. Let me restart that. Real yeah, quick. you guys are being productive, clearly. Can't remember the number. <laughs> Dude, it's Get something. Lot done. It's something, man. Yeah. Cool. All right. So ready? We'll restart this. See if I can get the uh, the episode number right this time. So ready? And three, two, one. Hey guys, my name is Brett Ferguson. I'm a current student at the University of South Carolina, where I'll be graduating in May 2020. Welcome to episode seven of season two of the Struggle to Sovereignty. Before we jump into episode seven, I wanted to elaborate a little bit about Penn. So before we get into the episode and kind of get a little bit into the nitty grittiness of it, Penn is somebody that Phil approached me with saying, he's like, man, initially, whenever we, he joined the team, he was like, man, we got to get Penn on. And I was like, wow. And I was like, who's this Penn guy? He's like, you just have to talk to him for him to show you his story. Um, he's had a crazy life. I mean, his, his journey through cinema has been beautiful and where he's gone and the people he's met now what he's doing is so interesting. So we're so, so, so fortunate to have him on the episode today. So guys, without further ado, I am joined here today by Penn Harrison. Penn, how are you doing today, bro? Doing great, man. Thank you for having me on. Um, I've listened to a couple other episodes and obviously heard a lot about this podcast from both you and Phil. And although it seems to be so focused on uh, like physical strength training and um, entrepreneurship and more traditional hustles. I really appreciate you uh, bringing me on as more of a creative arts and entertainment industry guy to give a new angle. So, yeah, man. Um, I think there are going to be a lot of uh, parallels between um, obviously goal setting and weightlifting and other types of struggles and making it in a competitive industry or pursuing your creative goals, whatever they are. So yeah, exactly. I'm talk about it all. Exactly, brother. And, and, and that's so crucial what you said. You said that there is a link to all of this. And that's the beauty of the struggle to sovereignty. Because we've brought in guests on that have been, for example, the owner of a physical therapy company to D'Angelo Stevenson, who writes poetry and, is with, and who helps start a creative outlet here at USC called Spurs Up with Jack Taylor. I mean, like, so there's a bunch of different outlets we're trying to hit with this. And, you know, that's the beauty of it all because we're seeing these ties in this, this one conglomeration of, Hey, your network might only be with exercise, but there are plenty of people with the same notion and the same being in the media arts in the graphic design in the outdoors in the hunting in the entrepreneurship side i mean whatever it may be like these same values appropriate throughout everything which is so beautiful so pin enough about you know the struggle to sovereignty this is amazing and everything but we want to hear about you uh, i want to hear about what your passions are where, where you started and kind of where that's led to you so let's go ahead and just start out with the foundation of pin who is pin harrison 
Sure. Um, I guess to start the backstory in Raleigh, North Carolina, I was born and raised there. I went to high school with Phil and we were, we were good buddies. I mean, we kind of had different social groups. I was like a, I was a fucking theater nerd at the time. He was with the football guys, but we always had like a, definitely a mutual respect for each other's uh, passions and goals and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I guess my, my creative journey started when I was about four years old and my mom insists that, uh, she had just started taking me to piano lessons. And then one night we're like watching the, I think 1979 Superman movie. Mm -hmm. And afterward, I apparently sat down at the piano and played the theme song from the musical score. And she realized like, oh, my son has perfect pitch. We should keep training him in music. Um, I was obviously way too young to realize like that was something not everyone is lucky enough to have. But yeah. um, after years and years of learning music, I started to teach myself guitar and writing songs. Um, did a little like EDM production in middle school and high school. Uh, but at that point, I also started getting really into film, um, particularly like uh, when I was 11 years old, two movies came out that I think uh, made me want to approach storytelling as a passion. The first one was Super 8, uh, which is basically, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's about like these uh, middle school kids in a small town in Ohio who, um, after a train crashes and releases an alien into their town, they, uh, they're trying to shoot a movie, but they end up kind of living a story even more interesting than the one they were trying to tell. Um, and the second one, which came out that summer that really, uh, really drew me to cinema was Christopher Nolan's Inception, which was just uh, a mindfuck and uh, a very uh, visually and intellectually challenging movie. And by the end of that summer, I was uh, kind of tackling cinema and storytelling with the same energy as music, being like, all right, I, I'm imitating things that uh, I'm very interested in. I want to try this myself. So I started just uh, writing screenplays for fun. Um, within a couple of years, I had a group of friends, mostly from like my high school uh, drama department, who were willing to act in little short films that I would direct. So we'd just like go out into the woods and shoot a chase scene for fun or uh, yeah. um, try to make a horror movie in the dark on a Saturday night or whatever. Um, so it slowly grew into more and more of a passion. Uh, and growing up in North Carolina, obviously, there's not much of a film industry compared to somewhere like New York or L.A. So it was always quite a pipe dream. But in high school, I made a few trips out to California and started meeting people in the industry and gradually being like, oh, this, uh, this doesn't seem too far off. Maybe if I really push myself to get into a good college and um, continue to hone my craft both behind the camera and writing future screenplays and just uh, studying effective storytelling every chance I get, I could, th this could be more than a shot in the dark. So yeah. that's kind of how it all got started. I was very eager throughout high school to get out of North Carolina and start um, studying and making films in a larger city with a bigger industry. And by age 21, I'm, I just finished at the University of Texas at Austin. I live in LA now and I'm um, feeling pretty good about the next steps. So I bet yeah, you it's, are, been, man. it's been a wild ride, but very fun. Yeah, man. Uh, I applaud you for it. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. Starting out, you know, shooting those short films with your friends, you never would have thought that you would have been where you are now. Uh, and I think that's the beauty behind the journey. And uh, I take that word journey very seriously, because that is what life entails. It is somewhat of a journey. Absolutely. And you're, and you're writing your own story. That's something um, we had on our Instagram, somebody commented and they were like, uh, they were like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to achieve my goals, da, 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 da. And I, somebody wrote back, I, I think it might've been me, but we were just talking and we were like, you know, 
this journey in this life, you have a pen and paper, your actions and what you decide to do are your pen and paper, right? It just depends if you want to write your own legacy, if you want to write the story that you would want to read. And I think that's what so, so many people are scared out, scared of in their lives is they're not writing the right story. They're not writing the most appealing story to what their intuition is. And them not being able to write that story terrifies them. And then that's where fear comes in. And that's where failure and that fear of failure that so many people let's, let them let inside their minds stay as this limiting factor, don't allow them to take that next step, right? So this next step is terrifying. It always is. It's always going to be terrifying. No one likes uncomfortable situations. No one likes stepping out of the norm of the day-to-day. But we find ourselves, the more and more we do it, the more comfortable we get with being uncomfortable. And that's why you hear so many people say that because it's in your journey, nothing, no part of your journey has been comfortable until you allow it to be comfortable, right? And that yeah, is, absolutely. and it's so crucial, and it's so crucial, especially with us, us young individuals, us trying to write our own story. It's tough, man. Like figuring that stuff out is tough and it's uncomfortable, but we're able to find ourselves through our passions. And that's exactly what you've done as you've you know, started out at the bottom. Let's talk a little bit about whenever you went, uh, so it was during college and you went abroad and you shot a little bit of movies and you did like a little short film uh, abroad. I want to talk a little bit about that and just hear your thoughts on what that was like and how your path has kind of intertwined with this and gotten you to where you are now. Yeah, man. Um, that was that was an exciting chapter of the story for sure. Um, I guess to to tell the Barcelona story properly, I'll backtrack a little bit to when I'm like 15 years old. And uh, I, I'm pretty into storytelling and nonfiction at this point. I loved like reading the biographies of um, leaders throughout history, like I'm Winston Churchill or uh, Abraham Lincoln, people like that, and just studying these true stories and lives and kind of seeing how, like you said, um, really I don't know, people had left a legacy, kind of wrote their own story through day-to-day actions, self-discipline and uh, goal setting and progress and all of that good stuff. Um, and while I'm super into this rabbit hole for a while, I discovered this uh, pen of, or this pad of paper in my dad's basement. Um, and I'd kind of known it was there, but I didn't always know the whole story behind it. Basically, uh, my dad's from the UK, and my grandfather was actually a British Army captain during World War II. So he survived the Normandy landings on beaches of D-Day and uh, fought through Belgium, France, Netherlands, um, ended up in Germany, like liberating the Ruhr. And um, I don't know, he had all these crazy stories, but he passed away when I was like two years old. So I never got to hear them firsthand. But anyway, uh, my dad had kept my grandfather's like handwritten autobiography in my dad or in his basement, which I eventually uh, discovered down there and read through and kind of got to know him firsthand and realized like, wow, my own grandfather lived a really harrowing and courageous um, story during World War II and then moving his family to America afterward and working in the British government uh, in America in the 50s and 60s. Um, so all of that blew me away. And I was, I'd been having conversations with my dad at this point about uh, my grandfather and memories of him. And one thing that my dad always said was like, when I was your age, I thought uh, your grandfather may have been a British spy because he was always like flying off to DC and doing things for the British government. We couldn't always, uh, couldn't always know everything about them because it had to do with like the royal family or uh, the consulate, things that were kind of secretive. Yeah. So uh, my dad was always thinking like, hmm, wonder if my dad's really James Bond or something like that. And so 
we've got that side of the story. And then I go abroad to Barcelona and I um, I wanted to make a short film with the company I was interning with. And I'd been studying Spanish Civil War history a little bit. And I knew that like British and French spies had tried to prevent a dictator from taking power in the Spanish Civil War in Barcelona in the late 30s. And so I kind of, I combined my own experience in American studying abroad in Barcelona with that past story, which is like a, um, a British spy trying to thwart the revolution in Spain at that time, and then turned it into this like inception style time travel story out of chronological order in which an American student whose British grandfather disappeared in Spain during the Spanish Civil War accidentally time travels and meets him on the night before uh, he attempts to stop a bombing in Barcelona. So it became this like uh, mind-bending time travel thriller concept, which I then had to explain in Spanish to my in uh, internship boss and be like, hey, if we get a couple cameras and enough actors and use some locations throughout the city, do you think we could really do this? And they uh, they took a chance on me and they said yes. And then I was absolutely terrified. I'm like 19 years old, about to direct a short film in a foreign country, uh, mostly in a foreign language with a bunch of crew members who I've never met. and uh, producers much more experienced than I was while taking classes and traveling every weekend throughout Europe. Um, so I was very intimidated, but obviously I also um, had a story that was really personal to me. And I was thinking, uh, if I somehow pull this off, it will be a very fun story to tell in retrospect. Yeah. Like as I move forward in the film industry or just like chatting up somebody at a bar or whatever. So fuck it, let's do it. Um, so that basically that decision led to the short film One Night in Barcelona. And um, I can get more into the details of shooting it or the festival thing or whatever afterward. But yeah, that's how it all came together. And uh, it was a blast. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible, man. I mean, and it's beautiful that your medium allows you to talk through real life situations just in your own way, like in writing your own story that is, it's, it far exceeds what the initial interpretation of the story means and it goes so much further back and that's so beautiful to me and that's what i enjoy about storytelling in in a sense it not only allows you to connect yourself to the story but whenever you read a little bit more into it you start finding out things that you didn't before and you're like wow I never knew that. Like, I, there's been plenty of times I've watched through a really good movie again, and I've been like, damn, I never knew that. Like, I never knew they put that little <laughs> yeah. gem in there. And it's so cool because you go back and you, you find out more and more and more about the characters, about the plot development, about the, the way that the entire movie was shot and orchestrated, where it was and how it, was, how it came together. And it's beautiful because it all comes together to seem somewhat perfect as it comes out. But again, as we as humans, we're imperfect by nature. So how, is, how are you able to create something that's so appealing to the human mind that seems perfect, but whenever you're on the other end shooting it, you feel as it is imperfect, but others find it perfect. And it's just beautiful how it kind of has that little tie and correlation, man. So you, let's backtrack a little bit about to your high school experience going into college and how throughout college, sure, yeah. what your passion has been. So you stated um, during our pre-interview, we were talking about it and you're like, man, I just studied my ass off. I want to talk a little bit about your motivation and your work ethic behind getting from where you were to where you are now. Yeah, happy to. Um, I, I guess the easiest way to, to preface this is I came from a really academic family to begin with. Like both my mom and my dad were professors at North Carolina State. My dad 
um, was the head of the English department for the while for a while, and my mom's a Spanish professor. Um, so they'd always instilled a pretty hardcore like academic work ethic in me. Um, but I, I wasn't always very focused with it, or I'd like overthink shit and then not get to the right answer. Um, and throughout middle school and early high school, I wasn't quite sure how to channel that into academic success. Um, but then I realized that in order to become a filmmaker, I'd need to get into one of the top film schools in the country, either like USC in Southern California, um, UCLA, NYU, or University of Texas in Austin. And to do that, I needed like one hell of an SAT score and <clears throat> really good grades. I'd never been a good test taker. So um, signed up for some online tutoring and then also uh, just decided like for two to three hours a night, like my sophomore and junior year, I'd just um, study, cut off the Wi-Fi, like focus on one task at a time, set really ambitious goals, et cetera. Um, and it just became like putting in the hours and uh, closing out distractions. I honestly sacrificed a bit of social life in high school to make sure I would get into a better college. And I took the SAT a full three times. And I probably took like 15 or 16 practice SATs junior year. Um, and then I'm, I'm completely in the zone academically. I'm just grinding. I'm finally about to get straight A's the, uh, the first semester of my junior year of high school. And then I'm in the gym one morning. I think I'm just doing push-ups, And I get this really sharp pain in the left side of my rib cage. Um, and suddenly can't take a deep breath all the way in. And I thought I'd just like torn an intercostal muscle, so I powered through it. Um, but over the next two and a half months, it hurt so bad that I still was like never able to take a full breath in. I kept trying to work out or run, but just could not um, keep up the pace or the um, the power that I had before. And even when I was sitting there studying or chilling with friends or whatever, like my left side really hurt. So finally, I think it's January of my junior year of high school. Um, I go get an MRI expecting to find out that there's a little side muscle torn and just not healing or something. And the doctor calls my mom about 48 hours later. I'm at the dinner table with her and she, uh, she basically just stands up, walks out the door on the phone, looks as white as a ghost. I'm like, Ooh, we just got bad news. What was that? Um, she comes back in, puts the phone down and basically says the doctor found a huge mass on your spleen. So you're going in to meet with a pediatric surgeon in the morning. Um, I had no clue what was going to happen at that meeting. And, uh, we still didn't know if it was like cancerous or not. So obviously my whole family is pretty freaked out. Um, get there and I learned that it's just a benign cyst, but I still have to get my spleen removed. So in the middle of like studying for the SAT and acing all these classes, suddenly I miss three weeks of school. I have like this giant open uh, surgical scar on my stomach and can't lift for the better part of two months. It was a pretty slow recovery, but in the end it all worked out. Um, and I really used that setback as kind of motivation to go harder once I felt better again. Right. So about four months after surgery, I went in and took the SAT for the third time. I was so nervous. I literally didn't sleep the entire night beforehand, not even intending to pull an all-nighter. I just like uh, lay in bed, like thoughts racing, like this is my last chance to try and get into these schools and go be a filmmaker outside of North Carolina. What if I blow it? Freaking out. Um, I go in there just on sheer adrenaline and power through it. I don't even remember most of the test. I was just like so locked in. But the results came back a couple weeks later and I'd gotten a 2310 out of 2400 at that time. Um, so I knew like, okay, I can, I've probably made it out of North Carolina. I can go to one of these film schools. It'll be okay. Um, I was a little disappointed. I still didn't get into NYU or USC with that, but I did get into the University of Texas at Austin. 
I knew absolutely nobody in that part of the country, but just was like, yeah, let's full send it. I'll meet some people in a new city. This would be cool. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I ended up at UT and I really never looked back. It was a great place to go to college. That's amazing, man. I mean, even like you just said, how you brought about the idea of a setback. Um, I, and for me, it's one of those things where setbacks come in so many different ways. Like setbacks come in such a variety of different ways of being able to influence your life. And by that, I mean, a setback can be a bad mood in a day. A setback can be bad news. A setback can be, you know, today you're just not feeling like it. But the, and even and a setback can be something physiological, some issue that you're occurring and that's occurring in your body that you can't control, that you have to take a setback. And it's, it's an ideal that is tough because everybody is motivated by coming back from their setback. But whenever it takes months and or years to come back from what you've done, what action are you going to take in order to appropriate that right what what are you going to do for that lost time right and i and i think that idea is so far extending because then you could talk about the idea of time and the way time comes into a factor maybe you needed that break maybe you needed that setback because it helped you reevaluate what your end goal was just like you said with uh with the sat you were worried, man. It sucked. Like you had an issue, like you were sitting there like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it out of North Carolina, but you did. And you hit a 23, you hit a 2310 and you figured it out. And even though you might've not gotten the options you wanted, you ended up at UT Austin, which is another beautiful school. You have a million and a half resources. And also too, you're very, like, you're very fortunate just to be able to walk through that campus, just as am I to walk through USC. Because I know so many people have came before me and I know there's so many people that are coming after me that are walking those same brick that I'm walking. And that's a beautiful concept. Absolutely, yeah. Because again, it's like that, that idea is so far extending. It's like, yeah, this might've been a setback, but if I look into the future of where it could go, man, it's so, it, it, the future's so bright and it's so open. And I think, and it's, it's just another concept that's tough for people to understand because people talk to me about that all the time. It's not necessarily about dealing with things constantly. It's about dealing with a setback. You, you had something going on. You were, you were passionate. You had all this. But then now you're having to take a step backwards in order to understand what your goal is going forward. You touched a little bit about your exercise and what exercise means to you. And as like, this is a passion that carries throughout its uh, notion within our community here at the struggle to sovereignty. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what your passion is behind working out and what it does in order to help you make yourself the best person possible. Yeah, totally. Um, it's not something I talk about as much as like the creative stuff, but I think it's a really integral part of my routine. Um, unlike most of my friends, I did not, uh, I did not play high school sports. I did like swimming summer league. That was about it. So during the, uh, during the fall and spring to stay in shape, I would just hit the gym usually, uh, usually with my dad, cause he's super into it as well. Um, do weightlifting routines probably three, four times a week. Um, I, I did that on and off in college too. Obviously the lifestyle is a little bit different there. So it's less consistent, but um, now that I'm in LA, I'd say I, I lift five times a week, um, trying to get in some martial arts as well, um, just because that's another area I've never touched on. Uh, but yeah, I think in order to keep myself mentally focused and uh, just 
burn off the energy that I accumulate either writing or interacting with people or uh, in other ways during the day, it's great. It's just a um, good way to clear your mind, uh, keep your body functioning at hundred percent. I, um, I was born in 1998. So I realized like if I live to be 103, I can live in three centuries. And <laughs> I think uh, by front loading exercise now and just making sure I'm in the best possible physical shape, uh, I can kind of shoot for that. Yeah. Uh, long-term goal as well so for all those reasons I think I know, it's just something that I have to do every day to be at my best absolutely man yeah no and that's and that's huge it, it I think it just is a very easy and a tangible way for you to put yourself through hardship like a lot of the ideals that happen emotionally um, and psychologically throughout your life there isn't something tangible that you can put to it but with working out and exercise failure is is it's always going to happen just like it is in real life, but being oh, able sure, to push yeah. your mind, body, spirit through those external factors that are pushing against you, you're able to come to this culmination at the very end where you're able to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, damn, all that hard work, I was able to accomplish this. All that hard work, I know I'm trained better than most of people. All that hard work, now I'm able to sit there and be happy about what I'm, what I'm producing from that. And I think that's super crucial is that idea of production. What are you producing from the actions that you're taking? Yeah, it's great if you're doing something, but if you're doing something mindlessly with no point, there is going to be no result because you had no intuition in order to make it become a point. And that's something exercise has always done for me where it's made it tangible. Like it's made it like, Brett, if you don't train today, you're going to look worse. Brett, if you don't train today, you might not be as mentally adept in order to handle situations that arise throughout the day. Like, hey, Brett, if you don't train, you might not be as just mentally clear. Like, just being able to have conversation and talk to people. Like, there are so many factors that add up to it. So I'm always interested to ask people about that, um, about that question. So let's jump back into your creative side. Um, and you talked sure. about how you had an interview with Richard Roger. And I wanted to talk, oh. yeah, talk a little bit about that whenever you got the chance. Sure. Um, he's got a weird last name. It's Roper, but it looks like Roger right oh. now. It's like R-O-E-P-E-R. So, yeah, this, uh, this guy's been one of my favorite film critics. I remember, uh, remember he had a show with Roger Ebert. He was another uh, kind of big name who um, reviewed a lot of movies for the Chicago Sun-Times. And then uh, the TV show was broadcast nationwide. They're just uh, do like two thumbs up, one thumb up, two thumbs down, whatever, uh, for the latest releases. And a lot of people look to them for advice for what to go see that weekend or rent on DVD or whatever. Um, Ebert has since passed away, but Richard Roper is still a pretty big name in the uh, movie review arena. And when I made this short in Barcelona, it was purely just to have on my reel or I don't know, kind of for the hell of it to tell this story. Um, but the the study abroad company that I went to Spain with they, uh, they're headquartered in Chicago and they do a little film festival for study abroad students who have shot something in the country they studied in. And uh, so one of my teachers was like, yeah, you have to enter your thing in this. I know it's not a documentary and it's not really about you studying abroad. It's a, it's a fictional narrative, but um, you can still submit it and see what happens. So I did that. Um, it ended up being selected as one of three finalists. And then they flew me out to Chicago from Austin in November 2018 for this little festival. Um, the, uh, I believe Kate Flannery, the actress in the office, was supposed to host it. And then she called out sick at the last minute. Um, 
And so I get this phone call like two hours beforehand. I've just flown in Chicago. I'm checking to the hotel and they're like, by the way, Richard Roper, the film critic is going to um, be on stage interviewing the contestants tonight. And I was like, holy shit, this is a dream wow. come true. Cause I mean, right after I, I watched Inception when I was 11 years old, I went online, read reviews to try and understand what had just blown my mind and some of the, uh, the, tactics behind Nolan's technique and Richard Roper had written and explained it as well as anybody. So I'd been following him for that long. And then suddenly to have this film screened on stage and then have him like pass the microphone across to me and ask some questions about it was pretty surreal. And then uh, he asked me about the ending because it's really ambiguous whether or not the main character time traveled or dreamed this whole thing or what. And I said, I would love for the audience to be arguing about it or debating it afterward because there are multiple open threads. And he looks back at me and goes, yeah, I mean, it's exactly like Inception or other films where there's an open-ended finale. And I was like, yo, no way. Yeah, right. <laughs> it he just all came, came full circle there. He compared it to Inception. And you're just like, wow, how freaking <laughs> cool is that, man? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those yeah, things. Yeah, I was like, you know, if my 11-year-old never... self had been in the room when that occurred, um, he would have he had quite a night. So yeah, it, man. Was, it was a satisfying moment, to say the least. I bet it was. That's, that's awesome. That's so cool. Um, you know, and it's it's so funny because people people try, and I think the word, the best word to use is try. People try to conceptualize what is going to come from the future, but at the end of the day, you don't, man. Like whenever, for example, um, with this job, so I work for a strength and conditioning company called Sornex Exercise Equipment. My community and my viewers are probably tired of hearing about it, <laughs> but I just love what I <laughs> no, do. That's dope, dude. Yeah, I love what I do, man. Um, I deal with a lot of really, really cool people. And one of those people just so happened to be Cameron Haynes. So Cameron Haynes is a backcountry hunter. Um, he's like the very, I believe, and don't quote me on this, but he was one of the first athletes that Under Armour ever signed, like as an athlete for Under Armour. Um, oh, and he's, I mean, he's been on Joe Rogan countless times. He's, I mean, just unbelievable guy, like just unbelievable Man, what my job was for this event called Summer Strong 12, pretty much it's a celebration of strength. And it's been quoted as the, uh, as the strength community's Woodstock. That's the best way to put it. It's just its own thing. And I try to explain it to people, but it's, it's hard for me to. But so one of, one of my jobs for this convention was to drive the, the keynote speakers to and from the airport and to and from their hotels. And it was just me driving them. And how cool is it to be able to sit there for 45 minutes in a car stuck in traffic? And so many people would complain, oh, you're stuck in traffic. No, 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 no. I did not care. Sitting in this car with Cameron Haynes talking, man, and talking the, like for 45 minutes and just sharing ideas about life. And we get oh, up to sounds about, incredible, yeah. Man, it was, it was unreal. And the one thing, you know, and it's, it's so crazy because I, I'm very passionate about my faith. And one thing that it kind of brought, got brought into the conversation was this idea of Christianity. And it blew my mind because for 45 minutes, we could have talked about anything. I could have talked about his hunting travels. I could have talked about his experience with Joe Rogan. I could have talked about his experiences with just all these highly acclaimed individuals and just talking with them about, you know, real life situations. But we ended up talking about religion for 45 minutes for like, I'm not kidding you. And we, we sat in the car and the hotel, like parked out in front of the hotel, like talking for five minutes afterwards because we wanted to finish our conversation. And I was, oh, yeah. sitting, and it's the same thing. 
Like it, you sit there and a 11 year old Brett knowing who, what I know about this individual now, if I would have known that I would have been sitting there jumping out of my, out of my pants, bro. Like it, it was, it was the coolest, yeah. it was the coolest concept. Like I was like, and something I think whenever I get to talk to these just unbelievable individuals is for this moment of time, for this section of their time that they walk this earth, they are giving their 110% I, direct communication to me. They are not communicating with a single soul outside of this. They're not, they're not talking to nobody else. They're not talking to their kids. They're not talking to their family. They're not talking to their fans. They're not talking to their social media. They're not doing anything. But for this 45 minutes of their life, it got taken up by talking to me. How blessed am I to just have that conversation, right? And how blessed am yeah, I? Yeah, that's to a hell of a feeling. Yeah, and it's just to sit in that chair. And then it makes you want to be better because you're like, wow, being able to have that interaction with that person, it's so beautiful. And I want to live that life that they live in my own way. Like, I want to be my own Cameron Haynes. I want to be Brett Ferguson. Like, I want that name to resound with people and to help people, you know? And it's just so beautiful seeing that. And just you having that same situation where not only were you just talking to him, he was criticizing you, <laughs> you know, having his, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's his job, man. He's professional at that. That's awesome. That's so amazing. And you, during our conversation last time, we talked about this one word that has somewhat been a driver for your life and for these situations, dynamism. What does that mean to you? Sure. So I think that, uh, um, that ties back into every chapter of the story I've written since I set the goal of becoming a filmmaker, which was just like whatever um, whatever lofty goal you have set for your life down the road, I, it, you're obviously going to break it into a lot of smaller steps. For me, it was like, all right, do well in high school, get out of state, get to a good college, make some films along the way, write screenplays. Uh, now that I'm in L.A., it's like network with high profile people as much as possible, try to get a job. Um, full sentence and uh, trips around the world to gain more experience and have better stories to tell. Um, and each of those steps, you're going you're gonna to force yourself to do things that are very intimidating. I mean, uh, directing a film in a language that I was still learning in Spanish in Spain was like, I don't know, it was crazy. Who would do that at age 19? Or right. uh, moving halfway across the country twice to cities where I had very little experience and didn't know that many people. Sure, that's intimidating. But at a certain point, um, and I think this also ties into like the workout routine, just getting yourself to do that every day. You just have to, uh, you have to stop overthinking it and take action, even if that entails a significant amount of risk or gives you a lot of anxiety or um, sets you up for probable failure. And I think you're going to learn from experience as a storyteller. I think a lot of your best stories come from uh, I don't know, the, the failures you endured on your road to getting where you wanted to be. Um, so I think dynamism for me, ties back into just being somebody with a bias for action instead of somebody who sits there and overthinks and doesn't act on the goals that he's set for himself. Um, and I don't want that to just sound selfish either because um, I'm definitely the philosophy that if you concentrate on your, like whatever you're best at or most passionate about, um, you eventually get to a point where you've developed it so much that you're helping others and then you can use it to better the world around you. Um, but that only occurs if you've taken those first steps and ignored the fears or risks to a degree at least that we're going to hold you back otherwise right um, so that's what dynamism means to me and i think without it i would not be talking to you from la so yeah, right right exactly yeah. exactly man and that and that i believe 
this is somebody told me this and I was just having a conversation the other day. I was doing a pre-interview with another guest that we'll have on uh, stay tuned community. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I was having this conversation, man. And we were talking about the idea of failure and like the idea of action. Right. And exactly what we're talking about right now. And I described it it's a way that it's been able to make me contextualize it into somewhat of an imagery or somewhat of a story is I picture yourself climbing up a mountain, right? Whenever you decide to take your initial step, you're like, okay, I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to go climb a mountain today. Do you ever, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, do you ever stop midway through the mountain and say, man, this view's beautiful. Let me head back. Honestly, like, like, Penn, do you, like, if you've ever hiked, do you ever look, do you ever stop and just be like, wow, this midsection of the mountain is so beautiful. I'm not even going to see what the peak has to entail. I'm just going to head back. Like, hell no. Exactly. Um, you actually, yeah, that's so, that's so relatable. And if I can throw a quick story in here, I was in Switzerland like four weeks ago, um, just by myself between a couple other trips. And uh, there was this mountain that I wanted to hike up. And I got about halfway there and learned that there was going to be a snowstorm in an hour and a half. And it would theoretically take me three hours to get the rest of the way up and then back down. Um, but it looked so dope to get to the top that I just thought, I'll try to race the storm. And the view will be even better from the top. And if I risk it and get caught in a snowstorm, I'll figure it out. Um, and so I basically ran the rest of the way up and then most no of the way kidding. back down. Got a gnarly ass blister on my foot, but made it down right before it started snowing. And that ties right back into what you were just saying. You, you, once you start climbing that mountain, you don't want to stop for anything. Anything. Like, even if there are significant risks involved or um, like factors that might prevent you from reaching it, you're committed at that point. You just want to take another step forward. Right. So, and that's so totally cool. Agreement, man. What, what, a, what a cool tie away uh, to that. I mean, and to that, because if you contextualize it like that, I mean, truthfully, like, just like what you just said, you were literally in the middle of a mountain, like not, not even just conceptually, like you actually were at the, like in the middle of the mountain and you decided to still hit the peak because you've already gotten that far, man. Like, why would you yeah. take that many steps just to turn around? It doesn't make sense. Like it, it just genuinely does not make sense. And it doesn't make sense to me. That's why like people, I got a text the other day. I hadn't talked to this person in a while. And they said, uh, I was just like, hey, just checking, up in, uh, checking in on you. I saw something where they were upset about something. And I just like shot them a message on Snapchat. And I was like, hey, just thinking about you. I hope you're doing okay. Um, if you ever need yeah, anybody. Should. Yeah, just if you ever need anybody, please give me like, please give me a shout. I'd love, I love to have a conversation, grab coffee sometime. And we anyways, so they were just like, oh, I'm fine. Just had a bad day. Like, da, da, da. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, oh, how's life going? And just having a quick conversation. And they said, they were like, Brett, you, I'm so inspired by you just from all the things you're able to balance. Like the fact that you're able to do a full-time job, do school, do this podcast, still be able to have time for family and friends. Like that's so impressive. And I was like, man, you know, it's, for me, it's not impressive. For me, it's just the way of life because I love doing what I do. Like I genuinely love it. I love doing podcasts. Like I, this could be something like I was saying to my team, I was like, guys, we could stay at 360 followers on Instagram for the rest of time. And I would not care because I know <laughs> that this is helping somebody like this is help. Like this conversation right now is helping somebody and it's helping somebody contextualize what we're talking about and really set those goals for themselves. When you're like, imagine climbing the mountain, imagine climbing the mountain. 
that little help right there is all I want. That's, that's it. Like if I, if I went thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in the hole because of this whole thing, some business analysts would say, Brett, you're stupid. I would say, no, you're stupid for not wanting to help people and not helping people to contextualize it because that you can't beat that man. You like, you cannot help. You can't, you can't tell me that there's some other currency that is more valued than help. Like it isn't help is found yeah, through right money. on help is found through money sometimes but man help is everything helping people is everything because at the end of the day jay spearman said this on our, on one of our episodes and if, if you're religious if you're if you're not whatever it may be but who's keeping score at the end of the day religiously me it's my god it, it's what i believe in but for you if you don't believe in that that's okay that that's your own that, that's your own that's your own situation. That's your own life. I'm not going to tell you how to live it. But again, ask yourself that question. Who's keeping score? You. <laughs> like if you, Absolutely, you, dude. you're keeping score. Why are you trying to help? Why are you not trying to help yourself better that and get better? Because it just, it fires me up. And that's why I get so like, just so passionate on these podcasts sometimes. And people be like, Slow your roll, Brett. Like, no, <laughs> man, it's just. <laughs> no, you got to get into it. Exactly. And dude, it's just so beautiful, man. Like seeing somebody accomplish something, like seeing something, like not hearing from somebody and then seeing them a few years down the road and be like, oh, Brett, I did this. Man, nothing makes my heart happier because I know that they're doing what they want to do. And I know they're not falling into these short-term limitations and these, these intuitions that bring them down. Instead, they uplift them and they bring them to a yeah, higher level. Yeah, that's the you like to see. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. And if you don't, you need to reevaluate the situation you're in so you can understand it better for yourself and then be happy for others because you know what that feeling's like. And absolutely. That builds up so much empathy. If you are also hustling and you are looking to others who are doing the same thing for guidance. Yeah, man. Talk about empathy. What does that word mean to you? Um, as a storyteller, I think it's a really important one because obviously like you have to, um, to write believable characters or to, um to accurately or i guess with emotional honesty describe somebody else's life or experience or depict it like you have to understand people and their feelings and thoughts on a pretty deep level um and i i probably didn't realize this till i was mid high school early college just i wasn't always the most naturally social or popular guy um but one thing that i think changed that for me and helped me i don't know understand others well enough to one, build some really great friendships, but two, uh, help tell more authentic stories was just, you need to listen and uh, ask really good questions. And then um, uh, just try to put yourself in other people's shoes as much as possible. Um, and then in turn, give others the opportunity to do that and relate to your situation and your story, um, add things to the conversation, which you know are gonna be jumping off points or things that will help others connect. Right. Um, I think in such a, now that I've moved to LA, this is a little more uh, of an updated stance on this. But like the film industry is so relationship based. If you're not, um, if you're not great at getting to know mentors and potential collaborators and just friends and other like agencies or studios or whatever, like you're not going to make it very far because everyone else is networking their ass off. Um, so I think empathy is great for. Um, navigating this kind of transactional sphere in the entertainment industry and then still building like authentic friendships and relationships as a result. Um, some people get really wrapped up in that 
Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it's an essential trait, both on the storytelling side and like the business and uh, more entertainment industry side of it. Um, but so, yeah, it's, it's a value that I hold pretty damn high up. Yeah, man. And that's the same in my industry in the strength and conditioning industry, that word strength and conditioning means everything. Um, you have plenty of people in the fitness, you have plenty of people in the health industry, but strength and conditioning is very close knit and tied group because you only have X amount of positions that you can be a part of in order to be a strength and conditioning coach or work with strength and conditioning companies. So the, the bubble of relationships and mentors and people within that sector are very small. Like it's very small in the grand scheme of things. So you have to be able to be empathetic in order to learn from people instead of just trying to get your point across because it's great to get your point. Right across. On, yeah. But your point is an culmination of other ideals you've learned from people that you've picked up. So why not listen to more situations and gain more knowledge and learn more about yourself? Because that's crucial, man. I mean, the more, yeah, the more you- I love that quote too, where it's like a, the, the loudest one in the room is the weakest, which I'm, yep. it might be kind of a blanket statement, but in general, yeah, like the, um, the more listening you do, the more you can uh, potentially strengthen yourself from interaction and go with that. Yeah. Right. I think it applies to every industry, like you were saying. Yeah, absolutely, man. Pin, this has been awesome, brother. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful to have you and to have this connection now with you, man. Um, I can't wait to keep up and see the amazing things that you do. And just where your life and the trajectory that you're living heads off to, man. And it's going to be so amazing. So, Pin, if you have anything else to say, please say it now. And if you have any, like, social media you want to share or anything that you want to share with our community, please do. Because I would love for them to hear it. <laughs> sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on, man. It's great to um, hear more about your passions as well as be able to share some of mine and through this conversation i'm sure um i mean i feel like we just had a good energy going people get fired up listening to this and inspired either to hit the gym or try to write a screenplay or whatever right um so very glad we could have this conversation and look forward to keeping up with you um my socials are just at pen harrison uh, no caps or spaces on instagram um not on twitter much but i believe it's the same um and then any anything else I would share, I'd just say like, yeah, whatever you're most passionate about, or if there's um, if there's some story you've been wanting to tell, or um, kind of a, a risky move you want to take, whether that's traveling or reaching out to mentors or um, starting a fucking podcast or blog, or whatever, just just take the first step because um, it's a snowball effect. You don't know how far it'll get you, but um, once you break that initial uh, hesitancy. Um, you can go a long way and then it just becomes a habit of doing that over and over again. That's been very helpful um, on my trajectory up to this point. Absolutely. Um, So yeah, thanks again, man. This is great. Thank you, man. So guys, as we wrap up today, let's do what we always do at the end of each episode and that's read our mission statement. And our mission statement is as follows. This group is designed to be a constant open communication between members to deal with issues that arise in everyday life. Whether they be fitness goals, personal goals, or life struggles, this podcast is designed to uplift all those involved. Dulcius X Asparagus. Thank you guys. Struggle of Sovereignty is powered by Garnet Media Group.